Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back. If you listen to this and you didn't listen to A, it would seem a little confusing, but I overran on the 5720A portion to almost three hours. So we're going to go with the B and we're going to head straight into our gay shit. Were you trying to get crazy with this thing? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that meets your host, Lose his mind. Little pump and cut. Hello, thank you so much for allowing me to be here today to let you know that every single one of you out there no matter who you are, where you're from, who you love, or how you identify yourself, you deserve to love and feel loved in return. In the fall of 2018, over 6,500 fifth graders across the state of Connecticut voted for me to be Connecticut's fourth kid governor because they believed in my vision of LGBTQ youth safety, pride, hope, love. As Connecticut's kid governor, I finally had a platform to advocate for something I feel very strongly about. People, especially students and children, should not be going through their day feeling afraid or ashamed to be who they truly are. When I was five years old, I was asked to make a gingerbread person in my kindergarten class. The directions were for the girls to decorate their people with skirts, while the boys were told to put pants and a bow tie on their people. I really liked the look of the bow ties, so I put pants and bow ties on my gingerbread person. When my teacher saw what I had done, she told me that I wasn't allowed to do it that way. She crumpled up my work and threw it right away in front of me and the entire class. The class laughed, I cried, and I don't think I will ever forget it. I know now that I have to work hard every single day to help make people feel like they are loved, that they belong, and that they are safe from ridicule and injustice when they are with me. As the kid governor, I was able to put into real action some things that I knew would help the LGBTQ students immediately. 
I produced a webinar that showed teachers and administrators across the country how they can help their LGBTQ students feel more safe and loved within their schools. I also created a handbook for elementary students who would like to start a gender and sexuality alliance in their schools. We call it the Pride Hope Love Club. Students can feel pride in who they are, bring hope to those who need it, and show love to everyone no matter who they are. My job is not over. All of our jobs are not over. We must continue to fight for equal rights for all people. So please go out and show patience, kindness, and understanding and love to everyone you see. You never know who may really need to feel like they are valued today. Thank you. That was Little Big Shots. That is one of my favorite shows on TV. Every Sunday, uh, remember I'm, you know, in my 50s. Uh, for some reason, I, I love watching Little Big Shots, and then I watch America's Funniest Home Videos. When we go to bed, we watch Outlander. Um, that's our schedule. That's what we do. It's it's a habit, and, and I really enjoy the show, but... Back when it was run by, God damn, what's a big guy who does Family Feud? Um, all he did was crack jokes and crack wise, and it was more about him than the kids. And then Melissa McCarthy took over, and it was really good, but she's super PC. So she runs out this train wreck last weekend, which is a girl dressed as a boy wearing high heels who's from Connecticut and does this speech. And we just stare at our TV set wearing a rainbow-colored sunglasses. This is just the gay mafia taking a kid and making it a prop. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. It is a prop. Didn't write it, handed what they say. I mean, this this is the, the fucking whole climate change debacle. It doesn't matter what it is. The left takes kids and makes them props. And I went and instantly, and I'm surprised it didn't get taken down. I tweeted the show. I mean, there was some hateful shit in there. People like, why the fuck? This is why nobody watches your show. This is fucking child abuse, blah, blah, blah. I stayed pretty professional in this love this show just fast forward past the propaganda the objectification sexualization and kids as props is in grade school is rather sick among liberals pushing on map another group the left is advocating for people should be who they are when it's age appropriate and clearly, this is not age appropriate. This poor girl has been gobbled up in the gay mafia machine and the GLAD organization. And they used her to give grade school classes. Which, why do fifth grade kids need to know about any of this shit? Seriously. 
You say, well, it's a big world and people aren't like you and they need to learn this. No, they don't. Sexual orientation, sex. If it has the word sex in it, fifth graders don't need to really know it. They need to know where babies come from. And that's about as far as we go on that until their balls descend and they know what the fuck's going on. And we said it at nauseum on the show. Hey, this is child abuse. You're sterilizing a child for your agenda. <clears throat> so I dug out some old stuff from back in the day. This was from June 12, 2012. Kids of gay parents fare worse, study finds, but research draws fire from experts, also known as the gay mafia. A new study that finds children of gay or lesbian parents may have more likely to have social and emotional problems has sparked controversy on both sides of the same-sex marriage debate. The study from Mark Rangeris, an associate professor of sociology at the University of Texas at Austin, surveyed more than 15,000 Americans between the age of 18 and 39, asking them questions about their upbringings. Its findings are published in the July issue of Social Science Research. One survey question asked whether a parent had been in a same-sex relationship during a child's upbringing. Regenerous, who's now been cast out and is no longer in the community, nothing he does is given any credence anymore, wanted to see whether there was a difference between kids raised in a household by a parent in a same-sex relationship compared to those who were raised by biological parents who are married and heterosexual. The survey results were measured by a set of 40 outcomes on social, emotional, and relationship factors. Outcomes included whether a child had grown up to need public assistance like welfare, were more likely to have anxiety or depression, were more likely to be abused, or were more like apt to engage in unhealthier habits such as having more sexual partners, smoking, using drugs. Regenerous analysis identified 175 now adult children who said they were raised by a lesbian mother along with 73 who said their father was in a same-sex relationship. Focusing on the larger sample, the study found respondents whose mothers had a same-sex relationship fared worse on 24 of the 40 tested outcomes. That's over 50%. 69% of children of lesbian mothers reported that their family received public assistance, such as welfare at some point, compared with 17 for biological families. About a half of children of an intact biological family said they were employed full-time compared with just 26% who were in gay homes. 14% of kids of lesbian moms spent time in foster care at some point compared with 2%. Overall, less than 2% of all respondents who said their mother had a same-sex relationship reported living with their mom and her partner for all 18 years of childhood. What does that say? With their mom, uh, and a part, okay, sorry, um, with children of dads in a same-sex relationship, there was 19 outcomes they performed worse on. Regenerous told Health Pop, so they didn't have as many negative outcomes as child kids born to a mom without the mother. But more than those who grew up in a home with a married heterosexual parent, he said, most conclusions about same-sex parenting have been drawn from small, convenient samples, not larger, random ones. The result of that approach have often led family scholars to conclude that there are no differences between children raised in same-sex households and those raised in other types of families. 
But those earlier studies have inadvertently masked real diversity among gay and lesbian parenting experience in America. Several experts and advocacy groups have taken issue with the study methodology, saying a comparison of children of a lesbian mother who herself may have divorced a child's biological father or may not even identify as a lesbian since the survey only asked if the parents had ever been in a same-sex couple to other children is an unfair, flawed comparison. We're grabbing for straws now. Whether same-sex parenting causes the observed differences cannot be determined from a generous descriptive, descriptive analysis, said some bitch. Children of lesbian mothers might have lived in many different family structures and it's impossible to isolate effects of living with a lesbian mother from experiencing divorce, remarriage, or living with a single parent. Or it's quite possible that the effect is derived entirely from the stigma attached to such relationships and to the legal prohibitions that prevent... Ah, oh, it's society's fault! Got it. See, the problem is this is the first long-time study that was done with people, whereas the gay mafia studies never get to completion. Because people stop being gay, or they stop being transgender, and you stop getting data. So you just run with the best thing because you want to push your agenda. This guy doesn't have an agenda. He just did a fucking survey, but he is the worst person in the world. And a joint sta- statement from the Family Equity Council, the Human Rights Campaign, Freedom to Marry, GLAD, advocates called the study a flawed, misleading, and scientifically unsound paper that seek to disparage lesbian and gay parenting. Because this is a CBS News article, the rest of this article is going to be negative because they didn't want this to be true. Because of the serious flaws, this so-called study doesn't match 30 years of scientific research that shows overwhelmingly that children raised by parents who are LGBT do equally as well as their counterparts raised by heterosexual partners, said HRC President Chad Griffin. That's because you pad the stats. You pick perfect families. He even alluded to it. You sample. You grab the perfect and you run with it because you want to push your cause. Gary Gates, a researcher at the Williams Institute, a sexual orientation policy think tank at the University of California, Berkeley, told Life Science that a fair comparison would have been of children of heterosexual or same-sex couples who were raised in similar homes with no divorce to separation or foster care. All he found is that family instability is bad. Gates, who was not involved in the research, told Life Science... Other critics have alluded to the study's funding from conservative group, the Witherspoon Institute, and the Bradley Foundation. So the money's bad. It's bad money. Uh, people will say I'm irresponsible without weighing in with stronger data. This is the best quality data we've seen so far. If they don't like the results, I'm sorry. Regenerous was upfront about the funding for the conservative group and said he pledged to groups involved that he would report whatever the data found. What's more, he says, some of the criticisms are valid and plausible. There are some valid criticisms that are being made, such as the measurement decision on who should be called a lesbian mother in the study. People might say that's irresponsible to do the study without all the stable lesbian couples in the study, he said, adding the random sampling only found two out of 175 children who said they lived in a home with both same-sex parents through 18 years. Whose fault's that? Maybe your perfect lesbians aren't so perfect. I would have been happy to compare them, but they did not exist in large numbers. Regenerous said it is entirely possible that instability in the household led to some of the reported negative. He said children of heterosexual couples in an unstable home were also found to fare pretty bad. People gay or straight should stick with their partner, he thinks. I think the study proves evidence of that. In a commentary in Slate, 
William Salatin writes, What the study shows then is that kids from broken homes headed by gay people developed the same problems as kids from broken homes headed by straight people. But the findings didn't, the finding isn't meaningless. It tells us something important. We need fewer broken homes among gays just as we do among straights. We need to study regenerate sample and fix the mistakes we made 20 or 40 years ago. So it ends on the gay mafia saying this is all bullshit. There was the Harvard study that I should have saved, and I can't. They showed it was even worse. Drug use, suicide. It was horrible. Then there's this one from JAMA. New study shows associates between attempts to make transgender people cisgender and suicide attempts. This one is done straight up from the LGBT health education. This is what is being pushed all the time. Study also builds on a previous work published last month by the same research documenting the widespread prevalence, 13.5% among the U.S. transgender population of having experienced gender identity conversion efforts by therapists and counselors and religious advisors. The rate of previous suicide attempts amongst transgender people in the United States is extremely high, with 41% reporting that they have had that experience. So then, within the study, they're saying people trying to make them straight are not supporting their transgenderism. Those people had a 13% chance of committing suicide. Attempting to commit suicide. When the national average is 41%, they say. So technically, people being pushed to be the regular gender had a less amount of suicide than people who didn't. But that study is what we push. With no criticism. And that's why I threw it in here. The study uses data from the 2015 U.S. Transgender Survey conducted by the National Center for Transgender Equality and includes responses from over 27,000 transgender people in the U.S. Estimated prevalence in the U.S. state in 2015 showed that nearly 200,000 transgender people representing every U.S. state have been exposed to gender identity conversion efforts. And that is bullshit. When you're doing it as a survey, we're not talking Christian. We're talking, my parents didn't support me. Tell me a teenager where their parents supported them. Anybody? Your kid comes in with some wild-ass shit and you don't do it? <clears throat> my kids were into straight edge. I didn't stop drinking coffee. But if they took a survey, does my parents support my straight edge? No. My parents don't. But that kind of survey, that is the gospel. Moses handed that shit over. The other one that actually is self-identified people answering the survey. Not somebody asking questions. Not somebody prodding them for fucking results they want. It is cast out as junk science. And then we have this article. Transgender rock stars main high school valedictorian. This is from Advocate. Snyder Sanders, who says, I just have to be myself, believes he's the first trans valedictorian in May, Maine and possibly the entire nation. 
To Sin Sanders, who believes he's the first transgender high school valedictorian in Maine and possibly U.S., his greatest achievement is simply being himself. I just am who I am, recently told the banger Daily News. I'd probably be dead if I couldn't be who I was. I just have to be myself. Sanders ranks at the top of his class at Belfast Area High School. He transferred there from freshman and beginning his transition in eighth grade while going to school in Isboro, an island off Maine coast, as he wanted to have a fresh start and simply be accepted as a male without anyone realizing he was trans. Over time, people found out. When I came out as trans publicly to everyone and started living as a boy, they had no choice but to support me. That could be because he's not only a high achiever, but an outspoken one. I have a naturally loud, combative personality, so it's hard to stay hidden for long. There are a lot of conservative people at Belfast, but the thing is, I just gain the respect somehow. I feel that even people who disagree with who I am, they still respect me. I don't know entirely why, but that's what happened. Teachers and administrators were full of praise for Sanders. Since Sanders, an extraordinary person with a depth of understanding, passion, and commitment, unusual for somebody so long, said Mary McLean, superintendent of the high school district, region unit 71. In class, she, is, she said, he is a rock star. Modeling a genuine fascination about each of his subjects. A rock star. Eighth grade. Eighth grade was my first kiss. Eighth grade wasn't when I chopped my fucking dick off. Then we have the gay... Well, we'll take your money, then go fuck yourself. There was a controversy budding in Central Park. Volunteers were setting up a field hospital in the park to treat COVID-19 patients, but those volunteers were from Franklin Graham Samaritan Purse Organization, and thus were Christians who believed in traditional marriage. <clears throat> Though that wouldn't stop them from treating anyone because of their sexuality. Meryl Bill de Blasio has welcomed the volunteers, turned around in a heartbeat the moment it became an LGBT issue, and said he was wary and would be keeping an eye on Samaritan's Purse and making sure they didn't discriminate. Now, New York City Councilor Speaker Corey Johnson is bravely speaking up and saying that it was great having Samaritan Purse help out at a time when the city couldn't afford turnaway assistance. But it seems as that it isn't blowing up as they thought. It's time to kick them out. Once again, on Twitter, you can bash Christians. Nothing wrong with that. But if you misgender Bradley Manning and call and call him Bradley Manning, you get deplatformed. Here's his tweets. My statement on Samaritan Purse, it's time for Samaritan Purse to leave New York City. This group, led by a notorious, bigoted, hate-spewing Franklin Graham, came out of time when our city couldn't, in good conscience, turn away any offer of help. That time has passed. What hate does he spread? I mean, this is Franklin Graham. Does he say horrible things about gays? No, he has a belief. It's not yours. But how is that hate spewing? Oh, God helps you to find out who you are. That's hate spewing. It continues. The continued presence here is an affront to our values of inclusion, and it's painful for all New Yorkers who care deeply about the gay mafia. He's a community, but I call it the mafia. It's deeply painful. I'm sure if somebody was on a ventilator in there and they were gay, 
It would be more painful if they weren't there with the ventilator. But what the fuck? I'm aware that our battle against COVID-19 is still ongoing and that our healthcare system and the amazing workers have been their heroes in the unprecedented time in our history still need support. The New York City Council is committed to supporting those workers and protecting our city's public health. But as a city that values diversity and compassion for all, we can't continue allowing a group with their track record to remain here when we're in the past point they're needed. Mount Sinai must sever its relationship with Samaritan Purse. Its leader calls the LGBT community detestable and immoral. He says being gay is an affront to God and refers to gay Christians as the enemy. Samaritan Purse requires his volunteers to agree to a written affirmation that marriage is exclusively the union of one genetic male and one genetic female. Hate has no place in our beautiful city. Ironic conclusion here, hate has no place, sure, we accept their help, we need the help, but now that we're past that point, we want them out, the city, and ostracized with hate. Nice way of saying thank you. Were there any complaints about LGBT discrimination? People forcing their Christianity on patients? Anything? And that'd be a big negatron, Batman. Kelly Grace, I'm usually, 100% usually behind Speaker Kojo, but this statement is the most ungracious thing I've ever heard him utter. Appreciated sentiment, appreciative, appreciate sentiment behind it, but it didn't, the group specifically agreed to treat everyone equally as a pretense of operating here. Do we have proof they forsook this? Forsook? I never heard of that. Because if they stuck to their promise and put the work in and treated every single person with the same care, it seems to me to be lesson to seize on to try to educate, change that group. Scorning them in the wake of their service only serves to deepen moral dividing lines. Troy Henrich, speaking of bigots, another one. Sure, they selflessly helped everybody who needed help, showing compassion regardless of creed, sexual orientation, sexual identity, but they're committed thought crime. As tolerant people, we must run that kind of ta- the, we, we must run their kind out of town for their beliefs. As a diverse, inclusive community, we just can't have their kind <laughs> providing free medical care to the poor. I mean, these people say this and nobody, I mean, if it was the opposite, it would be national news. But when it's this one, oh, no, no, we're good. Well, as a follower of Christ, that will continue to show love to every person needing help, despite your blind hatred of their love for all. I'll say it as a leader in the city that has had thousands of deaths in the last month. You should be more sensitive to the things of God. And that's true. Most people would be more more than willing to watch New York City be ravaged by a virus or anything else. You had better fall on your face and give thanks to the Lord for sending such a humble and faithful man like Graham to help New York City. And that's the thing and the point why I cover it. Would a gay, would, the, would any gay group come to a Christian town and help them? Would a gay group come after a tornado ravaged Alabama? No. They'd be on Twitter going, that was God's finger. There's your God killing you. How's your prayers now? Who's the bigot? Is it people that believe in God and believe in the Bible or the Quran or the Torah and just espouse beliefs that you don't agree with but don't do anything? I I don't know of a 
any Christians run around saying, you two gay people, stop it. They just say, biblically, man should not lay with another man. That's their faith. Just like your faith is, everybody should butt fuck each other. Why is yours okay and theirs not? Then we got this one. Leader of bisexual org to step down as flag controversy continues. Binet USA has announced a change in leadership. Faith Chettleham will step down as president to be succeeded by Juba Kalamuka. January 21st of next year. Cheetahman, also known as The Fight, The Fight, F-A-Y-T-H, wrote in a blog post on keeping the faith of asking Kamaka to assume the presidency, and he accepted. Cheetahman was the most active board member, volunteer, and staff member of Binet USA from 2004 to 2018, according to a separate post on Binet's site. The change came after Binet is involved in controversy over rights to the Bi Pride flag. Last week, the group tweeted that for not pro, for-profit enterprises selling the flag needed to enter into a licensing agreement with Binet. It received much criticism for the move, with some people saying it was unfairly targeting small businesses. In a blog post last Friday, the Binet board shared a statement regarding its position. The bisexual pride flag is intended for bisexual community use. The community has long been able to utilize it for the creation of gifts and goods to help benefit ourselves and each other. Binet USA continues to support the independent bisexual sellers and is working to bring more bisexual products in the market. We're currently advocating for bisexual sellers to have direct licensing relationship with corporations selling bisexual pride merchandise. Want to be clear, we're a nonprofit organization. We frequently donate our time and energy and promote others' work without the aim of making any money personally. It's also called for businesses to remove any items that use the buy flag alongside Confederate symbols. The statement also said the board launched the flag in 98, and it was not created by just one person. It's collecting testimony via video from those involved in the creation and launch, and will post those videos on the account. Additionally, the board agreed to fast-track an accounting initial approved last fall of Cheatham's contributions to the organization. This included externally prepared financial statements outlining each individual city in our bisexual organization that directly benefited from donations, grants, fundings, and fundraising directed by Faith the Faith. Cheatham and Binet USA. The statement will be forthcoming within three months, according to the Post. The board said that it's not meant to counter charge that Cheatham was stealing the Pride Pride flag, but to better set the record bisexual as the historic accomplishment of Binet USA. Huh. Later on in the article, Cheatham wrote on keeping the faith, going on to say that many LGBTQ organizations are not accepting of people from marginalized communities and perpetuate societal dynamics that work against those people. I reject the assertion that my presidency of Binet USA or Juba must mean that we represent all bisexuals as opposed to the most vulnerable bisexuals and bi members use different labels for their fluid sexualities, Cheatham concluded. If they have bread, if they have running water, basic supplies in time of the virus, that's the work by Net USA and myself remain committed to. And why do I cover this? These motherfuckers are so infighting on all this crazy shit, but you and I are pieces of shit because I don't know the 99 pronouns and a bitch ain't one. Really? Really? Next one. Gambier becomes first Ohio town to pass LGBTQ protections by Zoom. Oh, we gonna read this. 
The law mirrors the Ohio Ferris Act, which bans discrimination in work, housing, and public accommodation based on sexual orientation, and gender identity, or expression. The Gambier Village Council Monday made the town the 29th municipality in Ohio to pass its own version of the Ohio Fairness Act, legislation that adds sexual orientation, and gender identity, or expression to anti-discrimination laws in the Buckeye State. Gambier also happened to be the first to do so via Zoom. The world seems to be on hold, but many people can't wait to be afforded basic legal protections everyone else has. So while people in their homes not being able to leave, gay people are being persecuted somewhere. Generally, LGBTQ people in Ohio are not covered in a law that makes discrimination illegal. We are all making hard decisions right now. Whether or not you can be out and open at work should not be one of them. We applaud Gambia for protecting its residents and advocating for all LGBTQ Ohioans. Most of the council attended the monthly meeting remotely via Zoom, the Mount Vernon News reported. And I'm covering that because that's next. We should vote via Zoom. We should pass legislation via Zoom. We should just do everything Zoom because you should never, ever, ever leave your house to everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. impact on blacks are disproportionate, the impact on the virus and uh, the, in terms of those that have been found positive, those that have died have, have, have been, been disproportionately on blacks and people of color. And, and you contrast that with Erin uh, with is saying with what's going on in Georgia and in other places, with armed people marching on state houses like in Lansing, Michigan, all white. I didn't see uh, uh, any blacks. If there were, they were only one or two in the crowd. What are we looking at here, Zerlina? In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a national emergency, why all of this racial contrast? One of the things I think is so, so interesting is that as soon as the news media hit upon what Aaron was talking about, the disproportionate impact on black and brown communities, you saw uh, some white Americans say, well, now it's time to open the economy as if the deaths of black and brown people wasn't enough to stay at home. It wasn't enough of a reason for them to stay at home and keep everyone safe as if we're not as valued, which is the core of the Black Lives Matter movement, ultimately, right? It's treating every single life as valuable and equally valuable. And I think it is so interesting for folks to go and protest to reopen the economy. If you if you lost your job, let's be clear, you can go and get a job. There are gro- jobs at grocery stores and jobs in these essential uh, professions where people are going out and risking their lives to ensure that people can put food on the table, that people can go to the hospital and get all of the needs their needs met. If you need a job, you can go get one. I think part of the problem is that those people want to reopen the economy without even giving one ounce of consideration to the workers which allow this economy to run. And that is a really big disconnect between what the protesters are talking about and what's actually happening. When America gets COVID, Black America is dying, yeah. Rev. I'm going to keep playing those sound bites till they stop doing it, but it, it's still almost criminal how 
we continually have this bogus bullshit about black deaths based on a few cities. There's no proof. If there was proof, NYC alone would be what the media would run with. They have the most deaths. But all I talk about is Atlanta. So that tells you all you need to know. To the 1619 National Journal, Jeet Hears explanation for why the 1619 Project deserves Pulitzer is almost as wrong as the 1619. Jeet Here, in all seriousness, the way to judge a work of history is by the productive debates it provokes. 1619 generated some very dumb knee-jerk reactions, but also a lot of conversations. I think it's going to be at the center of conversations for many years. That is, not the way to judge a work history, Jeet, but nice try. I don't know. I think accuracy remains a strong measure for history. But that aside, good point. Work, a work of history, another reply. It was thoroughly picked apart by actual historians. It is, if it becomes part of discussion, it's doing nothing but degrading history. By this standard, Trump is the smartest president ever to walk the planet because his words generate a lot of conversation, somebody said. That's so good. Zags. Brian S. Merrick. It's not hyperbolic to point out that the exact claim could literally be made of Mein Kampf. That's true. John Haltwinger. The pushback to the 1619 Project is emblematic of why it's so necessary. History is not just about facts and dates. It's the study of the interpretation of events. White men have dominated historical discourse of the U.S., offering a narrow, skewed view of this nation's complex complex history. Historical interpretations are often contested, and those debates often reflect the perspective of the participants. John Gabriel, white man has thoughts. He's a white guy. The white savior has spoken. Red states, that wasn't a white man who disputed the fact-checking done by the New York Times. Originally, it was an African-American. History is not about facts, people say. Another, interpretation should be based on source documents, though, right? I mean, we have access to not only the published documents of those days, but also private letters between founders and other individuals. Interpretation should follow those and not be made up, right? And then somebody who talked just like me. Jesus Christ, dude, they made stuff up. But this is what I talk about on the show all the fucking time. History is written by liberals. They rewrite that history to make liberals look good. This isn't the first time California schools are getting taught a gay history about fucking bushwanging, cool-ass, transgender coach drivers. They just make shit up. It's what they've always done. And if the facts don't fit what they want, they make the facts go away. Gun debate? Bullshit facts. Transgender kids? Bullshit facts. 22 vets die a day. 19 die in a year. We have a transgender genocide. They don't even talk about the vets. I mean, do I need to say more? I knew our next article was coming because I'm watching this religiously and it's really good. The Last Dance. Fox Sports takes Jordan as the worst conscious brother of all time. I knew Michael Jordan's not woke was coming. It was just coming. 
Media attacks on NBA legend Michael Jordan continue after his later, latest refusal in ESPN's Last Dance documentary to join the LeBron James generation of social justice warrior. Rob Parker, who works on Fox Sports Radio and contributes to Fox Sports television pro- programs, took to the Deadspin blog to label MJ as a WCBOAT. Worst conscious brother of all time, Parker it's steamed that Jordan refused to speak up for Democratic Senate candidate Harvey Nat, Gnant, G-N-A-T-T, who lost miserably in 1990. Most of these fucking ignorant fucks didn't even know what happened, but then they watched the documentary and they got woke. In the last dance, Jordan still would not admit he messed up by not supporting the man running against North Carolina Republican Jesse Helms. Parker laid into MJ pretty good. In the basketball world, for sure, Michael Jones is a goat, but in the socially conscious world, MJ is the NWC boat, and that's saying a lot because Tiger Woods is still walking around on God's green earth. Making things worse for Jordan was the fact that Nat was an African-American running against a man tagged by the left as a racist. Jordan's own mom was supporting Nat. Many black people didn't buy it 30 years ago and still didn't get it in time around either, Parker writes. He also said Jordan did not have to stick to sports. He would have not have been hurt by endorsing a political candidate. The same goes for now. In fact, Jordan would have probably gained some of the supporters back who still have an issue with him for turning his back on his people when he could have helped at the height of his celebrity. This is the invariable all people are one group. I mean, it's just, if you're black, you're black. You have to think like black people, you have to act like black people, you gotta be black people. And I just laugh at it because it's like thinking anybody's one thing is stupid. Me and my wife have been living together for 33 years. We don't think the same on everything. We don't agree on everything. We don't care. Even now, though, he falls short of the activism of late Muhammad Ali, LeBron James. They hit that very big. LeBron spoke out Javon James and Eric Gardner, and he was was wrong on both of them. He even endorsed Hillary Clinton publicly, and he's tweeted at Trump and been horrible towards the president. For the white shirts, got to Woods, whose picture is in the dictionary when you look up the term on the fence. The golf pro stood taller than MJ, too. He took on the man in his first Nike TV commercial, speaking out about golf courses that didn't allow black people to play. And then he became a card-carrying member of Switzerland in the black issues, Parker said. Parker was shocked when earlier in the last dance, Jordan ripped his hometown of Willington, North Carolina, for racism. He also built a medical center in Charlotte. Parker qualifies this with a comment. Yet, when his own mother asked him for a favor to help Nat and black people in North Carolina... He wouldn't. Still, too often, influential athletes offer green as in money rather than attach their names to an issue for their people. For sure, nobody wants black athletes to be standing on their soapbox every day trying to solve all the country's ills. If they did it, it would leave them little time to actually play ball. But there's a time and place when a prominent athlete can use a profile and platform to not line their pockets, but enrich the lives of people who look like them. And there's nothing wrong with it. Parker mentions Ali, who sacrificed his boxing career for what he believed in, while Jordan couldn't even lend his name to a noble man trying to better life for his people. In the documentary, he said Republicans like basketball, too. And I think that made me respect him more than anything he ever did on the court. Not because he thought like me, but it made me feel like I'm like Mike. I want to be like Mike, like the commercial was. Because that's my thing. If I was an artist, if I was a spot, I would just, nothing. You wouldn't hear me say shit. Because I'm being paid 
to fill seats for a sport, not politics. And Michael Jordan was transcendent. That's the problem with these people. LeBron James is not transcendent. Kobe Bryant is not transcendent. God rest his soul. Michael Jordan made me watch basketball. The only time I ever watched basketball was when the Blazers won in 78. Because you didn't have a choice. It was on every TV. It only had three channels. Well, four with what became Fox. But the, the point is, he was transcendent. And he brought people to watch the games. But these people can't grasp hard concepts like that. They just don't get that for him... He did more for African Americans by just playing the game and bringing people together to root for this guy. Black, gay, straight, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist. It's what we've lost in this whole socially woke bullshit. And definitely during the Trump time where it's fuck anybody that doesn't think like me. The reality is... We move forward better together when everybody united in a common thing. It's what's lacking now. We don't all have Game of Thrones to watch. I say that all the time. It sounds stupid, but it's true. It got you at a water cooler to talk about stuff with everybody. That's gone. What do we have as a group? Everything HBO and Showtime's putting on right now is gay, straight, race, everybody. I tried to watch fucking... Uh, Penny Wise or Penny Dreadful Los Angeles, they were doing the anti-Latino discrimination and they brought Nazis in because they saw the other show about Nazis, so they had to bring Nazis in. It was so convoluted, we watched two episodes and we quit watching. They just... We have no common things anymore. Because liberals even want to make the Super Bowl political and the halftime show political. And the NBA political and not enough black coaches and Jesus fucking Christ it used to be what brought us together but you can't let that happen anymore Jamel Hill raging over being confused with parody account that tweets nonsense just like her Jamel Hill was very cranky on Twitter Saturday night because apparently people keep confusing her with a parody account whoever keeps spreading this around or to whoever has started this fake account, it's not me, morons, and kindly fuck off. This is the Jamel Hill Ultra Touchy, I think is the name of the account, which is funny. Earlier today, I went to the store, and I was walking in, a white man held the door open. I asked him if he thought holding the door open for a black woman made up for centuries of his ancestors making sure black women had no doors or avenues to success. He was stunned silent. <laughs> oh my God. Let me pause. Let me see what else this genius has came up with. Ah, I fucked up. She already got to him. They're taken offline. They're gone. They already killed the account. People's reply. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like you. It sounds like you totally say this. You have said this. It's you, Pumpkin. Sounds exactly like something you would say. Insane and over the top. Then we have Salon. Because once again, when you ain't got racist shit to talk about, let's make some racist shit up. Uh, it's Marquette again. 
anti-lockdown movement powered by racism. Yeah. Somebody said Salon in every article. In the article, because uh, I won't read the whole thing. I was going to, but I, I'll just read the, the, the good shit. The question isn't whether white identity politics and racism are fueling the protests. The real question is why. Racism isn't some kind of magic force that shields your body from coronavirus. Even Donald inject bleach Trump. Well, you know, what are these people going to do when he's not president? Because that's like at least 20 words per fucking article. they got to get a Trump in there. Hasn't been full enough to suggest you can't defeat the virus by wrapping yourself in the Confederate flag. Yet there's no denying that there's a direct correlation between racist attitudes and the belief that the coronavirus is an overblown hoax and the lockdown's a result of widespread leftist conspiracy. This isn't just true of the protesters either. The most prominent voices of the media and politics are egging them on and denouncing stay-at-home orders also happen to be the people who are doing the utmost to mainstream white nationalist ideology. The far right has grown increasingly hostile to the government in the face of social programs, most recently Obamacare, that they view as redistributing money for deserving white people to people of color. All the belly aching about tyranny and patriarch, patriotic cos, cosplay is about creating a moral justification for anti-government views that are rooted in the racist resentment and xenophobia. The lockdown protests are about further enshrining their hatred of Democrats and the reluctance to pay taxes to share public goods with non-white people as resistance to tyranny. The article says, It's kind of impressive of how much credibility Salon has assigned to Amanda Marcotte despite that she regularly and reliably has no clue what the hell she's talking about. And I love this. The hate of Democrats. Really. That's that conscious thing. They don't have it. They're missing the conscious gene. It has been next level hate since Bush won. That, that's where you started. Naraj Waraku. A week after armed white men came to state capitol, state rep in Michigan is an African-American. Sarah Anthony was escorted by at least three African-Americans. <clears throat> they escorted, escorted Anthony across Capitol Avenue. We want to change the narrative. We want people to understand that people of color can come out here with guns just the same as anybody else, said Michael Lynn Jr., a black Lansing firefighter who helped organize state rep Anthony's security detail. There was no need for the detail. And the way the arc, a horde of armed and angry protester swarmed last Lansing last week, State Representative Sarah Anthony brought some extra protection on her way to the state capitol day. Even though it wasn't needed. But it didn't work because everybody said, I never get tired of people thinking 2A enthusiasts will hear black people with rifles and suddenly go in a racist panic and sell all their guns. Morons. We don't care. She can get security all she wants. It's fine. Once again, the media was wrong on all counts. This is very cool. All gun control is racist. And that's how they flipped it, which I thought was classic. So what you're basically saying is you're trying to take guns away from black people trying to defend themselves. But 2A people are like, hey, dumbass, we listened to Colin Noir. He's black. What the fuck? It's a liberal shit.
Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! He was on the show recently and talking about uh, your daughter, Zaya, and her transition. And it's like, and I know this is silly to, to say because, you know, who doesn't love their children unconditionally? But I guess a lot of people don't. But it's so amazing how supportive you've both been. Yeah, I mean, to us, it's it's a little it's a little odd to be, to get, you know, any kind of recognition for doing what you know you're you're supposed to do which is love and accept and embrace your 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 kids so it's odd to get recognition for that but unfortunately there are so many people who just don't they just don't and so many people who really truly feel like their kids are disposable um if they're not perfect images of them um they're not interested in, and it's a, it's, it's heartbreaking. So, um, for us, we're just doing what is natural to us and, and, and loving her. Uh, there she is. There's our girl. Um, but, um, yeah, we just want happy, healthy, you know, compassionate kids. So that's what we, yeah. we try to leave well, with that. And, and Zaya, Zaya is very, very lucky to have, uh, both of you as parents. And it is unfortunate that a lot of people have children thinking they can uh, mold them and make them who they want them to be and have a certain idea of of what they're supposed to turn out like, but uh, they all turn out different. Now, I know this is out of order because it's some more gay shit, but she has been carted out everywhere. She was on TV last night on Jimmy Fallon. To Jimmy Fallon's credit, it was just a brief segment, but she was on Ellen and about the transition of her kid, and we love her kids, and it's the perfect... African-American transgender bullshit and our media is just pushing it around like propaganda so I put it liberal shit Mark Dice the censorship of conservative will get even worse but now Facebook will pretend it's being done by a fair third party instead of by their hands these are the people Facebook put in charge of deciding whether or not to delete controversial posts Facebook announced its first 20 people on the oversight board a sort of supreme court for content it could help avoid accusations on of bias on Facebook, and this is why they did it. But the problem is, here's the list of the new Facebook overlords. Dig up their tweets, guys. Let's show how biased and hateful they are. Nicholas Souser, liberal. Helen Thorne Schmidt, co-chair, liberal. I'm not even going to read them all. There's 20. They're all liberal. Every one of them's liberal. The worst Meet another fair and impartial member of Facebook no overboard who will decide what content to censor for social media. Jamal Green. It's becoming apparent that one tactic of Trump's to avoid legal jeopardy is to align himself with toadies and criminals and then broadcast his illicit desire publicly as if no, as if to no one. And these are, there's thousands, alright? I'm, I'm just only doing a couple to show it. The other one, this woman is on Facebook, no new independent oversight board, and will decide who to ban and who, well, whose content to get censored for hate speech. Not a joke. She is Professor Camelia Carl, or Pamela Carlin, the one who testified before the House Judiciary Committee on the Ukrainian call and impressed PBS Yamichiel Cinder with her Fire words. This is, she's the ugly, dumpy looking lady that was a hero for about a week. This is Elcinder. Fire words from Professor Pamela S. Carlin, 
While the president can name his son Baron, he can't make him a Baron, a rank of nobility or a title of honor Ingle or hereditary. Wow. Co-chair of New Independent Oversight. Uh, wishes Obama was still president. Hellas, Helen S. Helen. That's just weird. Thorning S. Maybe she meant S. Helen Thorning. The endorsement. Oh my God. Miss the voice of decency and grace. Another impartial. Nagat Dodd. God forbid if Trump became the president, this will be my last visit to the U.S. Trump wants the wall. Alan Russberger. There is no public interest in spreading disinformation. Completely agree that media should stop live broadcasting Trump, especially since he rejects robust challenge from reporters. Another, Kyle Mann. In case BuzzFeed Ben needs reminding, here's the message we got from Facebook last year. A page you admin, the Babylon Bee, recently posted the link CNN purchased an industrial-sized watch machine to spin news before publication that contains info disputed by Snopes, an independent fact-checker. Repeat offenders will see their distribution reduced and their ability to monetize and advertising removed. Learn more here. A joke was scrubbed out. So that's now your new Facebook, which is just like the old Facebook. That's why I don't use Facebook. YouTube top official mocks content creators in the basement. Every YouTube employee should get down on their knees and thank the video creators, mostly working from home, for making the site a success. Instead, the attitude emanating from YouTube recently has been one of denigrating and mocking those same creators in favor promoting mainstream media channels, despite the fact that YouTube has grown primarily because the viewers wanted to get away from the MSM. The latest example of YouTube officials sneering at the very creators who brought them to the table of success comes the former YouTube chief product officer, Neil Mohan, mocking the people who made his big salary possible as espousing their opinions in their basement. Mohan sneered at the creative community while hyping the authoritative voices of the MSM came during an interview with the Protocol Channel, David Pierce, on April 23rd, when answering a question by about YouTube moderating censoring content due to health authorities changing their advice about wearing masks. This is the reason why I feel really strongly that when users are looking for this information, making sure that we're raising up authoritative voices is important, which just means CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS, not Fox. Um... There will be explanations behind why a particular mass decision is made or not, and so the user, the viewer, and the content of the platform can be made informed decision for him or her himself. And for the forefront of those authoritative voices that Mohan was hyping is the World Health Organization, which described as China's coronavirus accomplice in the April 2nd edition of Foreign Policy magazine. Of course, no praising of authoritative voices by a YouTube official could be complete without following up with mockery of the very creators that made them successful. As opposed to, you know, it's somebody espousing their opinions about a mask, you know, in their basement. Yeah. That, that just doesn't fucking surprise me at all. All right. Uh, the Atlantic saying in the debate over freedom versus control of Internet, China was largely correct and the U.S. was wrong. And that significant speech control is an inevitable component of the mature and flourishing Internet. Soon after CNN ran a piece saying that China model of control has been looking increasingly attractive to the sum in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak, now we have Columbia professor Tim Wu, dubbed the father of net neutrality, 
asking a provocative question about freedom of speech versus propaganda. What is more important, freedom of speech or freedom from propaganda? One characteristic of speech environment in our era is that information of public opinion, the public debate does not reach an end point. Instead, the dissenter keeps on fighting and are encouraged to do so when in another era, they'd be crackpots. So we were all told we were going to die because of net neutrality. This guy just wants liberal speech. That makes sense. Corona bias, media outlets offer more accuracy for aborted baby pigs than humans. Our former New Buster colleague Katie Yoder wrote a column for Town Hall on how media outlets that ideologically resist using the term baby in abortion stories don't have the same reservations now as hog farmers aboard baby pigs due to the coronavirus pandemic. The central example was a Reuters story, April 27th, headlined, Piglets Aborted, Chickens Gassed as Pandemic Slams Meat Sector. Reporter Tom Polensky and PJ Huffstutter began Chicago with the pandemic hobbing the meat packing industry. Iowa farmers Al Van Beek had nowhere to ship his full-grown pigs to make room for the 7,500 piglets he expected from his breeding operation. The crisis forced a decision that will trouble him. He orders employees to give injections to the pregnant sow one by one, and that would cause them to abort their baby pigs. He could have used the firm term fetal pig, but they had no political sensitivity on that story. And I think that is just classic. Animals, yeah, we call them babies. But human babies, those are just clumps of fucking cells. Teen Vogue turns to teen activists to make the case for socialism. Fashion comes and goes, but socialism is always in style. Just ask Teen Vogue, who got a new piece up spotlighting nine up-and-coming members of the Young Democratic Socialists of America. Allegranda, Alle, Allegra Kirkland. YDSA members from across the country talked about what their work with organization involves from ending the criminalization of homelessness to raising campus minimum wage. Uh, first read these Teen Vogue interviews with eight incredible YDSA members. <clears throat> I honestly think that everyone is a socialist and they just don't know it yet. To me, socialism is really about believing in people and human worth. Egregious, egregious film and sign someone that had no idea what socialism is. This just in, Renad Jawanga, who's the person that did that tweet, has grossly inaccurate understanding of what socialism is. These tweets are a great argument for raising the voting age to 30. Gabriel Hoffman, as a former subscriber to Team Vogue, I'm appalled by your editorial direction. It's gross to sanitize socialism, period. This ideology believes in oppression, killing people, and denying their human worth. But what do, you, do I know? My family fled it, and my Jeep, my grandpa survived the gulag. Michael Wayne, it's actually the opposite. It's about believing that people are too stupid and immoral to plan their own lives, so plans must be drawn up by politicians and experts for everything to follow. This is why socialist communists are always on the wrong side of individual rights. But... The more we go down the road, the left is more for shit like this. <clears throat> Listen to the Nets just gush over Michelle Obama's new propaganda show on PBS. 
new surprise documentary, which is hitting about a year and a half after her stratospheric memoir. And I have to tell you, if reaction to that bestseller is any indication, this film is likely to break all kinds of records. The film offering an intimate glimpse into the life story of former First Lady Michelle Obama as she tours the country discussing her runaway best-selling biography, Becoming. What's next in life? That book sold about 10 million copies or more. And, of course, last year, Michelle Obama was ranked the most admired woman in the world. So you can only imagine what she's going to face in terms of admiration and popularity after this film. Former First Lady Michelle Obama is pulling back the curtain on her life in the new Netflix documentary, Becoming. It started streaming overnight, but she isn't telling her story alone. We are also hearing from her daughters, Sasha and Malia. The new documentary follows Mrs. Obama on her 34-stop tour for her candid memoir, while also looking at her life before the White House. The documentary, which hits Netflix today, follows Michelle Obama as she travels from city to city on a book tour promoting her best-selling memoir. The documentary also details her family life post-White House. The documentary was released at 3.01 this morning. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait. I hear it's very, very good. Becoming, by the way, sold close to 12 million books. Still on the... To a little climate... The hidden environmental cost of Valentine's Day roses. It all comes down to shipping. And this was a Vox article that somehow I missed that pretty much told you you're a piece of fucking human filth if you buy roses. Because you're killing the planet. USA Today can't make up its mind. Will world be doomed in 10 years or 50? Environmentalists in the media often seem to want to move the goalpost on their climate Armageddon prediction. USA Today ran a story headline, unsuitable for human life to flourish up to 3, 3B will live in extreme heat by 2070, study warns. That was from May 4th. USA Today stated that by 2070, up to 3 billion people are likely to live in climate conditions deemed unsuitable for human life to flourish. Citing a new study, USA Today warned that without climate mitigation or migration, by 2070, a substantial part of the humanity will be exposed to average annual temperatures warmer than nearly anywhere today. Interesting, given that the USA Today national correspondents, Elizabeth Weiss published a conflicting story in December headline, 10 Years to Save the Planet. Here are six imaginative climate change solutions. So which is it? 10 years? 50 years? 30 years? She released another story in June 2019, End of Civilization in 2050. In 2009, USA released an article citing Al Gore... Polar ice caps may disappear by summer 2014. These fucking people, man. They just fucking make the shit up, I swear to God. And then last but not least, I believe, and then we're into our lighter fare. Oh, I got one more. Scientists say they're identified mutated COVID-19 strain and issue a dire warning about the new contagion, and this one's going to be the one in the fall. So that's... Uh... I don't even want to know. I don't want to know. And I could have used to not have this either. Because I saw a video online 
I don't like rats, but that rat was getting fucked up by, you guessed it, murder hornets. I, I had to cover it. To our lighter fare. Dr. Mark Siegel has been covering the coronavirus for us relentlessly since it first appeared back in January. Maybe no medical expert on television is better at explaining complex con- concepts to people like me who find it hard to understand them. Tonight he finally gets to discuss something different. Murder hornets. Two-inch-long Asian bees have been spotted in Washington state. Should we be worried about these and why are they called murder hornets? Dr. Mark Siegel joins us now. Hey, doctor. Hi, Tucker. As if we didn't have enough trouble. Now, so far, there aren't a lot of these here. These two-inch-long murder hornets are vicious, and they attack honeybees. They go into a hive of honeybees, and they literally, in 14 seconds, decapitate the honeybee and destroy it. Luckily, honeybees are fighting back. They're generating a lot of warmth in the hive so that the warmth and the heat will kill the hornet. But meanwhile, these hornets also attack humans. They kill about 50 people in Japan and 50 in China every year. And they have this terrible venom that can affect the liver, the kidneys, the heart. It causes heart problems. Luckily, we can treat it. And most people survive from this, Tucker. But you really have to know what you're dealing with. And the biggest problem here, and and beekeepers are going all over the Northwest trying to trap these hornets before they take root. But the biggest problem with them is that they fly fast. The queen hornet can fly up to 20 miles an hour. Imagine trying to catch it. So it's only a matter of time before it takes root in the United States. And then you've got to be on the lookout for it. It looks like something out of Spider-Man with red, big, big pincers that attack the bees. And if you get multiple stings from this thing, you're in trouble and have to get treatment right away. I don't want to scare anyone. It's only starting to take root here, but we've got to nip it in the bud before it becomes an even bigger problem and destroys our bees. Our bees pollinate flowers, plants. We need our bees, Tucker. I've always liked beekeepers, but we've never needed them more. So thank God for beekeepers. And for you, Dr. Siegel, thank you for that report. Thank you, Tucker. Newly released documents prove... You know, I read an article about them. They go into a beehive and eat all the bees, and like a dozen murder hoarders can kill like 30,000 bees. But the Japanese bee, because you know, I got time on my hands, so I'm kind of bored, uh, literally has a technique where they'll, fight, they'll swarm around it and raise the heat and kill it. So these little bees, a group of them just swarm and kill that motherfucker. And I thought that's that's pretty fucking badass. So, to our lighter fare, there's a story going around, and, and I just thought it was freaking pure classic. Boat owner forced to take down Trump flag on his dock. The owner had to put a Trump flag on his dock, and the people across from his house complained to the club. Admirals told him that he had to take the flag down. The guy got pissed and sent his boat to get wrapped. And he literally, and I, I play the video, but he literally fucking, his whole boat says Trump 2020. Now, granted, if Trump loses, he's going to look stupid, but he'll just rewrap it because he's a rich guy. But I thought it was perfect, in-your-face freedom of speech. Okay, you don't like my flag? Well, hold my beer. Our other story, which I, I just, once again, laugh my ass off. It's really not that funny because it shows what a shithead this person is. Anifa Actus goes viral bragging about lawsuit against his landlord for demanding rent during COVID. 
His landlord is his grandma. Yeah. That that's Anifa. That's that's perfect fucking Anifa right there. It's your grandma, dude. What the fuck? Then lastly, our lighter fare, and for those that aren't a fan, well, this is the end of the show and you can move on, but I thought this was pretty cool. I tuned in late and saw a little bit of it. But I love Blue Bloods, and Blue Bloods decided to do, which is part of the show, a family dinner. And they did it on Zoom. So, I'm going to play it now. Hello, fans of Blue Bloods. I'm Donnie Wahlberg, and I want to welcome you to our first ever, and hopefully uh, last ever, (laughs) virtual Blue Bloods family dinner scene. These are unprecedented times, and uh, we're all dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety and things we've never dealt with. So we thought it'd be a good idea to get our family together um, to share some time with you guys. Without further ado, um, I would like to welcome all of the Reagan family members individually, starting with uh, Grandpa Reagan, Len Carriou. Hi there. Uh, my beautiful, uh, adorable, awesome sister, Bridget Moynihan, who plays the Aaron Reagan. Edith, a.k.a. Eddie, played by the amazing, wonderful, radiant Vanessa Ray. Full name. Um, Sammy Gale, our wonderful niece and daughter to Aaron Reagan. Will Estes, my brother of 10 years and uh, a, a good friend who plays Jamie Reagan. Anthony and Andrew Takalakaloni. <laughs> <laughs> Tarasiano, they've been my kids for 10 years. I still don't know how to say their last name, but great <laughs> young man. Um, our executive producer, Kevin Wade, a man who keeps us all going. And of course, the man, the commissioner, and our um, fearless leader, Tom Selleck, a.k.a. Frank Reagan, who's actually in the sort of Reagan house right now. Yeah, Dad, I'm, waiting, you- I'm waiting for you guys, but Tom couldn't make it, so we sent Mandy Potemkin instead. <laughs> 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 well, we want guys. To- I'm sitting here waiting. I'm in New York. I thought we were doing a family dinner. They still haven't quite figured out how to keep us six feet apart yeah. at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it, but um, that's going to be up to Kevin. Um, but we wanted to check in with everyone and see how everyone's doing. Um, is everyone where is home for everyone? Because most people don't even know that about all of us. Um, Len, where are you? I'm in West New York, New Jersey. Facing the Hudson River. I'm in day 46. I've not been out of this apartment. 46 days. And you're holding up okay? Yeah. Wow. And um, Andrew and Tony, you're in New York. Bridget, you're in New York? Yeah, I'm out. So it's better than uh, being in the city and in my apartment. So I get to go outside and enjoy some fresh air. So we're all All good here. Good. And Andrew and Tony, you're in, uh, where are you in Pelham? Yeah, Pelham, yeah. Base. We're under the same roof still. Vanessa and Will, we don't know where you guys are. Um, <laughs> Will, you appear to be on a stakeout where we're trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> Wait, Blue Bloods has stopped? But Dad's <laughs> waiting for us and I'm you're late. Alert. You're still in the car. What's up? Did you ask me a question? Oh, I'm out front. I'll come in. <laughs> All right. And Vanessa, where are you? You're in California? I'm in LA. I'm in California. I got out, like, just in time. So, 
because I would have been in my little apartment in New York and not been able to go outside. And so I can go outside here. Well, not really with the mask, you know. It's I suspected night. she was in L.A. because I can feel her aura. <laughs> I'll grab the crystals. I'll be back. And, Tom, obviously you're in California as well, although somehow you look like you're at the Reagan family household. I'm in Venture County. I, I just built a genuine replica of the Reagan dining room uh, just for this <laughs> meeting. So, well, it makes me feel better. I miss you guys. We miss you too. Um, ho- hopefully, uh, if things don't get better soon, we might have to shoot in, in the replica at your house. <laughs> <laughs> and Sammy, uh, where are you? You world traveler. Lauderdale, Florida. I'm in my childhood room, which has not been updated since I think I was eight years old when I moved to New York to start working. So <laughs> it's been nice to be back home for the first time in a long time. Yeah. One thing that people don't know about the show, we, we do a lot of interviews about the dinner scene and we're always asked the sillier questions like who eats the most and a lot of the, um, sort of obvious questions you'd get asked. But one thing that, people don't really know is the dinner scene really is an awesome time to catch up for all of us. Um, we all go about our separate jobs and when the dinner scene shows up, it really is a treat for us to all check in not only um, on our characters lives, but on our personal lives. We get to, you know, see how everyone's been doing. We um, celebrate special occasions and it's really um a, a really wonderful bonding time for all of us. And um, I, I, on a side note, I just, I'm really happy to see all your faces. It's uh it's been a while and uh, it's, it's such a treat when we get to do it. So to the viewers of the show, I'm sure there's a lot of emotion floating around amongst everyone today. We really do have a special bond and this is a really special thing that we're getting to do. And we thank you for sharing it with us. Um, but of course we're in this situation because of, um, the pandemic and what's going on. Is everyone safe? Is everyone doing okay? Um, you know, I'm sure the audience wants to know how everyone's doing and, and just to know that um, all is well in everybody's world. I'm getting by. Um, I, 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 I'm blessed. I got 63 acres, so I can get outside pretty easy. So, um, and I got to, to keep, uh, we have a family of people who work the ranch and, uh, uh, because of our distance, we can we can keep them all on. I didn't have to lay anybody off, so that's good news. Tony, you're in college, so um, are you now out of your out of college? Obviously, do you think you're ever going to go back, or yeah, so there's you might be online for the rest of your life. What's that? There's definitely a lot of discussion about what's going to happen in the fall, whether we're going to go back or not. A lot of schools are kind of holding the looming threat of online classes again in the fall, but we're all staying optimistic, hoping that we can go back. Um, but I, I'm all finished with finals now, so I have a little bit more free time on my hands, which has been pros and cons, of course, but it's definitely good to see everyone. And it's kind of crazy to be looking at the, be looking at the computer and just see everyone's faces in squares. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Mostly because half of us don't know how to use computers, I'd say, but <laughs> Kevin, do you, um, it, this has been such an awkward time. Do you think this is something you might explore going forward in the show um, or something like this. I, I mean, well, I don't know how we go back to the show without addressing it on some level, or do you just run far away from it? What are your thoughts? No, I don't think you can run far away from it. Um, 
it's something I've been talking about with our writers, with, with Warren Light from Law and Order and uh, Glenn Karen from Bull and with a lot of people. Just how do you go back, embrace it, and yet not have it drive the show? Because at the end of the day, we, we were never sort of making a documentary of life. So anyway, it's, it's a great question, and I wish I had a great answer. It's something we, I think about and we all talk about every day. It's one of the uh, great gifts of our show is we get to explore what's really going on, but we're not, we're not bound to it. You know, we have a, yeah. a family to fall back on. As Tom, as Tom wisely dubbed the show, it's, it's a family show with cops, not a cop show with a family. Um, and I think that really – help set the tone for this show early on that we can make it about the family. If you're anywhere near New York City or I suppose some other metro areas, everything that you see on TV is about people stepping up and public service and sacrifice and the people, the nurses and doctors who've come from all over the country to be in New York City. Um, so I think we, we wouldn't be doing our show right if we didn't find some way to pay respect to that uh, from our characters. Right. Um, Bridget, you're still, well, you were in the city. Um, how were things there before you um, went out east? Was it uh, pretty stressful? You know, I kind of came out here pretty quickly um, because it was getting a little stressful. And it, it was just a little overwhelming with, you know, we have four four boys in and out of this house. So it was too confining to stay in the city with four boys. And um everybody's homeschooling, doing finals. So we're, we were happy to get out here. I felt um, like everybody was sort of, it was the New Yorkers. They didn't know, we don't stockpile things, you know, like we don't buy a lot of toilet paper and have a bunch of groceries and all that kind of stuff. So everyone would be in the grocery store just kind of like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I was doing um, the play, Harry Times oh, last yeah. I got a, a letter from my doctor saying that because of, you know, my medical history, that I should under no circumstances go back into the theater. Somehow we dodged a lot of bullets the last few days of shooting. <laughs> there were um, a, a lot of crew members confined in very small areas. Um, Kevin and uh, the rest of the leadership on the show came down and spoke to everyone. It was um, a very uncomfortable time. No playbook and... Uh... And uh, developments every 20 minutes, it seemed like. You did a great job of leadership. And um, honestly, CBS and everybody really was very mindful. And I don't want to make this a somber occasion as the somehow moderator. I guess I'm the big mouth at the table, so I'm, I'm having to moderate this dinner. But I do want to also acknowledge um, someone in the Blue Bloods family, Nick Cordero, who I've worked very closely with um, throughout the last few seasons of the show. Um, he's in a really challenging situation. So I just want to send out, um, you know, prayers to him and his family, Amanda, and um, hope for a speedy recovery. So when we come back, there will be more virtual family dinner. And do not miss the season finale of Blue Bloods tonight. It's going to be very emotional. You're going to be in your feels. So get ready. Uh, it's an amazing <laughs> happening this week, a very elegant episode. So we'll be right yeah. back with our virtual family dinner. I will give them one thing. Um, across the board, I think some networks have done a really good job during this to at least bring you some new content. Um, 
I know for me, SEAL Team is very depressing. They did the last show last night. They're after this big guy, and now they can't. So the season's kind of over, and they had two more episodes that were in post-production but needed some more stuff, and they can't air them. And it's like, shit, man. It was such a good plot line. And, uh, you know, SNL did a couple shows. Um, All Rise did one. The other day I was going to watch it. I hate the show, but I wanted to see how they did it because I think it's pretty ingenious when you go through Zoom and do the acting. I think it's kind of a cute way to keep going. So some of the stuff's been great. Um, you know, the Sunday sing-alongs and all the liberal shit. I don't know about that, but most of it's been pretty good. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share that with your family and friends and send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com, foppodcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Packard Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Facebook page at Fop Podcast and our Twitter page at Fop Toner. Tony Toner Reed. Our next show will be Wednesday the 13th of May, year of our Lord 2020. Until then, make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. If you feel you need to cover, then do it. I'm still wearing masks and gloves until um, the summer hits. And then I'll probably pick it back up again. Uh, got little kits I put together. But if you choose not to, guess what? This is America. It's America. You do what you want to do. Um, I think if anything, at the end of this COVID, we read to, we need to re-examine who we vote for. Because if you're in a state that's still playing this like it's the end of days, and as we saw at the end of number A, <clears throat> the numbers per capita don't match, well, then you know who your governor, mayor, or whatever is. And for me, it's pretty simple. Um Anybody who wants to play politics during this pretty much is a fucking piece of shit. So, as always, I thank you for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter account at Fop. Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. I'm the sun and the earth. On the shyness that is criminal in Baltimore. I'm sun and earth. But nothing in particular. I'm the sun and the earth.